your view of God will determine your view of life or your view of life will determine your view of God if God is your reference point then you will be able to make sense of that which has no sense if your circumstances are your reference point then you will neither be able to make sense of life or God because you have an inverted view the second most important truth you can ever learn as a Christian is what I want to speak to you about I say the second because the first thing that you need to learn is salvation faith in Christ becoming a Christian is the first thing nothing can preempt that as the first understanding to understand and response to the gospel is of first importance. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15, of first importance I declare to you the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But second to that is your understanding of the sovereignty of God. If you do not understand the sovereignty of God, then you will not be able to make sense of life. Most of us have lived long enough to know that life throws curveballs. Life is full of the unexpected. Life, life is full of pain and problems. Life is bittersweet, sometimes bitter, sometimes sweet, sometimes both. Your view of and therefore your response to the sovereignty of God will determine your ability to cope with the confusion of life. Let me make sure we're on the same page. Let me, let me define for you what I mean by the sovereignty of God. I'm simply saying that God is the absolute ruler and controller over all of his creation. Sovereignty simply means to rule over to reign over, to be in control over, to say that God is sovereign, which speaks of his kingship, his kingly role is to say that there is nothing that happens over which he is not in control. That control is either manifested either by direct causation, he makes it happen, or by, conscious, or by consciously allowing it to happen. He either controls, he says, that's what I want to happen, so it happens, or he says, that's not what I want to happen, but I'm going to let it happen because I'm going to use it for what I want to happen. You cannot have a sovereign God and have luck. You cannot have a sovereign God and have chance. You cannot have a sovereign God and have faith. Because that means those terms refer to things happening haphazardly with no order to them, with nothing in control. They just show up. God's sovereignty says that things don't happen. Things are under control when they are out of control. I like the way Ephesians 1.11 says it. It says that God does everything after the counsel of his own will. Everything. 
He is creator, controller, and sustainer of all things. So we've got to establish this as the governing principle of life. The governing principle of life has to be the sovereignty of God. Therefore, you can never first appeal to your circumstances. If God is sovereign, and you're not sovereign, that means your circumstances are not sovereign, God is. So the reference point for life must not be life, it must be the sovereignty of God. This leads me to probably the greatest verse I would say in the Old Testament, maybe in the Bible, when it comes to life circumstances as it as it comes to the intersection of the sovereignty of God, and that is found in Genesis 50. It comes at the end of a saga of a young man's life that we uh, have spoken, uh, that we have spoken of often. His name is Joseph. Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers who were jealous of him. Joseph, having been sold into, into slavery, winds up working for a man named Potiphar. Because the slave owners took him to Egypt. They sold him as a slave to Potiphar. Where Joseph climbed the ladder of success and became Potiphar's administrative assistant, managing all of his household affairs. While managing his household affairs, Potiphar's wife sought to seduce him and he refused. In her anger over his refusal, she cries rape, making Potiphar, of course, furious that this man who he had entrusted over all of his affairs would seek to rape his wife, which was not true. And Potiphar gets Joseph thrown in jail. So he's sold into slavery for no just cause. Now he's in jail for no just cause. While in jail, there are two men who are in jail with him. One man sentenced to death, one man is set free. Joseph says to the man who said, remember me to Potiphar. Remind him, I'm still here. The man who he talks to forgets. He's free. He's not remembering nobody else. And now, he is now forgotten. This is 12 to 13 years of events I just described to you. Every time it looked like he was going up, zoom, he went down. You talk about it's not fear. Joseph could say this is not fear. Pharaoh has a dream that he can't interpret, that he doesn't understand. And I'm covering a number of chapters in the book of Genesis, a story that is riveting. He comes to a place where he has this dream he can't interpret. And the man in jail remembers. There was this dude in prison who was good at this stuff. He could interpret dreams. And since no one can tell you what this dream meant, maybe, just maybe you ought to call on him. I think, I think his name was Joseph. So Joseph is summoned up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph said, this is an interpretation. There will be seven years plenty. There will be seven years famine. In order to get ready for the seven years famine, you've got to store for the seven years plenty. Pharaoh was so awed by Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. He took him from the outhouse to the White House. Joseph in one day becomes the second in command in Egypt. Over 12 years of pain is overturned in one night. 
Now, now he couldn't have climbed that ladder as a Jew in 12 years if he had applied for the job and worked at it. But through a supernatural, lucky opportunity, he is placed second in command in a foreign land that are not his people. Through a series of events that is literally Hollywood, it's a, it's a Hollywood kind of story. His father and 11 brothers are caught in this famine, and the only place he can get food is Egypt. Egypt, because of the, uh, uh, because of the, interpre because of the interpretation of the dream, has all this extra storage. So the only way you can get food is you got to go to Egypt. So the brothers make their way up to Egypt. I'm going somewhere with the same with me. They make their way up to Egypt to request food. Joseph recognizes. These are the boys that sold me into slavery. But they did not recognize him. Of course, years have passed. Last time they saw him, he looked like one of them, where he looked large. Now things have changed. They don't know who he is. He knows who they are. Now, Joseph does a number of things in this story to force them not only to come for food, but to come back. One thing he did was, you leave your younger brother with me. By the way, how's your father doing? So he's getting all the info. He's getting all the intel. The brothers come back, and they are gathered in the room with him. Joseph must say, hold on for a moment. And he turns aside and goes outside, and he weeps. He's bawling like a baby. In fact, Five times in the story of the saga of the story of Joseph and his brothers, it says, and he wept bitterly. A lot of reasons for the tears. One, seeing his brothers again. One, remembering what they did. I mean, it was a whole, it was a whole series of events. In chapter 45, when the brothers are standing before him, Joseph clears a room of all the Egyptians. He says, all you folks leave, and you folks leave me here with these men. And Joseph says, come near to me. Now, they want to know, what is going on here? All we did was come in for food. Now, we are trapped in this circle that we can't break out of. Come near to me. Now, let me tell you what my spiritual imagination thinks happened, because... It was on this occasion the Bible says Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And from my perspective, the fact that he leave, he tells them, come real close. He wants them to see something. He wants them to see something that will validate his identity. And it was, one, it was only one thing that would validate his identity, his circumcision. Thus, everybody leaves. You come near. I am your brother Joseph, because only Jews were circumcised. Nevertheless, they're now terrified, because the one they sold into slavery is now in charge. You know, what goes around comes around. It ain't over till it's over. In chapter 50, the brothers saw that their father was dead. Jacob, Jacob is now dead, the father, and they are now terrified. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did to him? What if? As long as daddy was alive, out of respect for daddy, he would have held his hand. But now daddy ain't here to hold him back. What if he now is going to get even? So they concoct a story 
They make up a story in verse 16. They say, your father charged before he died. Daddy told us to tell you, please forgive, <laughs> I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sins, for they did you wrong. And again, Joseph wept before them. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. His life got messed up because they messed his life up. Has there been anybody in your life who messed you up? What they did to you, what they did about you, how they put you down, how they treated you, how they reneged on you, whatever, 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 it has messed you up for years. Because he went through 12 years of torture for something he had never done wrong. His brothers came to him and fell down and said, Behold your servant. And then Joseph says the words that at the heart of my point this morning. Do not be afraid, verse 19. For am I in God's place? You meant evil against me, yet you did me wrong. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. To preserve many people alive. It doesn't get stated any clearer than that. Am I in God's place? He says, I am looking at this through a different set of I'm looking at this through a different set of eyes than you are. You're looking at what you did to me, and what you did to me was wrong. But what you did to me is not my final reference point. What you did isn't the bottom line. What you did isn't the final point. What you did didn't make it over. He says, You meant it for evil. He says, you meant it for evil. You did me wrong. But God meant it for good to bring about this present result. When life treats you wrong and you focus only on the wrong, then you're missing the point. When life treats you wrong, God is still in control. When it's not fair, it doesn't mean it's not God. When God allows people and things to do things to those who are committed to him, you can be assured that, he, that, that he's allowing bad things for a good reason. Let me say it another way. Anything that happens in your life because God is sovereign must pass through his fingers first. God has the power to stop it, reverse it, correct it, kill it. If he didn't, he must use it. You meant one thing when you sold me into slavery, but God meant something else when he sold me into slavery. You were thinking, I'm mad, I'm irritated, we jealous of you, we don't like you, we don't want you here no more, and that's all you were thinking. But when God let you get through with that, he was up to something else. He says, and the reason God did it, in verse 20, is that he might bring about this present result. He allowed an event 13 years ago to bring us to today. He allowed a negative in our past to bring about what you're looking at right now. In fact, boys, thank you for sending me into, for sending me into slavery. Because when you put me in that hole and lied to daddy and told him I was dead, God allowed the Israelites to come up and see me. And they took me. And God allowed me to be sold by them to Potiphar. Then God allowed me to be put into prison for a crime I didn't commit to bring about this present result. And he says, and to save the lives of many. When you read the life of Joseph, 
with the praise that follows him all through all throughout his life. And the phrase was simply, and the Lord was with Joseph. He gets accused of a crime he doesn't commit, and guess what the phrase is? And the Lord was with the Lord was with Joseph. He gets thrown into prison, and the first phrase you read is, and the Lord was with Joseph. How can the Lord be with me when all hell is breaking loose? How can the Lord be with me when I'm getting beat and scorned? How can the Lord be with me when I've lost my job? How can the Lord be with me when my friends have turned their back on me? How can the Lord be with me when my finances are what they ought to be? How can the Lord be with me? The Lord can be with you when things are against you because God is looking at where you're going, not where you are. You see, our problem is all we see is what we see. And if what we see we don't like, then our first question is to indict God. Where are you? Unless you understand God is sovereign and that he controls all things, either by determining them or by allowing them for a greater purpose, you're going to be stuck where you are. You're going to be bitter and you're going to be angry. God is so big. Let me tell you how big God is. The Bible says that God holds the world in the span of his hand. Now the span of your hand is simply to open your hand and to measure the distance from your thumb to your pinky. He wants you to know how big God is. He says God is so big that the whole world fits between his thumb and pinky of one hand. Now if the whole world fits between his thumb and pinky of God, he doesn't need his arm, he doesn't need to grab it, he doesn't need to, uh, he doesn't need the seat to hold it up, all he needs is one hand, and the whole world fits there. What we need to understand is God is bigger than the sum total of his creation. He's not part of the creation, he is bigger than the creation. However, he is involved in, uh, he's involved in the detail. The same God who controls everything from the palm of his hand is the same God who doesn't miss a spell when it falls to the ground. So, in other words, he is big enough to run everything and yet detailed enough to miss nothing. He did not miss what happened to you. But because Joseph had a view of God that transcended his circumstances, he could interpret his circumstances in the light of who God was. And God is so big that his plan can incorporate bad. He is so big, God can't do bad. God doesn't promote bad, but God can use bad for his plan. One of the proofs or tests of your spirituality is whether you see the hand of God when you're looking at the hand of man. I hope you didn't miss that. One of the tests of your spiritual progress is whether you see the hand of God when you're looking at the hand of man, especially when the hand of man is negative. You get your praise on when the hand of man is good because then you see, well, that must be the hand of God. But when the hand of man is bad, if you are a spiritual, per if you are a spiritual person, you're watching the hand of God. Using the hand of man is evil, in spite of its evil. Joseph was confident in the plan of God. Look at chapter 45 real quick. I'll give you a second to uh, get there. In verse 4, in verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And then, and then they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. This is where he calls him close. 
And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. In other words, don't get mad at what you did because what you did, God did. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years of which there will be neither plowing or harvesting and God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant in the earth to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here but God and he made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his household to rule over the land of Egypt. You didn't send me here. Let me show you another scripture. Psalms 105 verse 16. Psalms 105 verse 16. And he called, and he called, God called for a famine upon the land. And he broke the whole staff of bread. And he sent man before them, Joseph. Now, this is a psalmist writing many years later. After all these events have happened. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters, put him in prison. He himself was laid in iron for a crime he didn't, for a crime he didn't commit, remember? Until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him the ruler of peoples and set him free. He made him lord of his house, Pharaoh did, and ruler over his possessions too, to imprison his prisoners at will that he might teach the elders wisdom. And here's what I want to point out. Israel also came to Egypt. Israel's is Jacob. Jacob's name was turned into Israel. And let me put this, uh, all right, let me put this in, into perspective now. Remember now, if you, on the, if you are on the same page with God and bad things happen to you, you must look at the bad things as the hand of God and not merely the hand of man. That's my point. God knows what he's doing. In allowing that to come to you, he knew it was coming. He decided not to stop it, so you must plan to do something with it. You say, why is he allowing the negative? Well, he tells you in Psalm 105 to test him. Joseph, you talking about all that, I trust in the Lord. You say you believe in me. You have confidence in me. But let's see. Do you trust me when man's hand is against you? When you are committed to God and man's hand is against you, it's a test. It's a test. God wants to see that you trust him, not hear it. Do you trust him when it's going backwards? When it's going in reverse? Are you blessing his name now? Are you worshiping him now? Are you giving him glory now? Are you coming to church now? Are you serving him now? Are you giving now? Are you responding like he's good, like he's good even when it's bad? God allowed the negative to test you. God was up to something much bigger. In fact, the reason it took so long was because it was so big. Let me give you good news about a long test. If you're in a long test, it's because there's a big reason. So let me tell you the reason. It says Israel came to Egypt. God made a promise years earlier to their forefather Abraham. I will make you a great nation. 
And when I make of you this great nation, as part of this process, I'm bringing this nation into being. God says, you'll be in a land called Egypt for 400 years. And out of that 400 year experience, I'm going to give birth to a nation that will come out of your offspring. And this nation shall be my people and shall glorify my name. That goes way back. That's Joseph's great granddaddy. That's, that's way back. The question is, how was God going to keep his promise? Well, he got Joseph's brothers to sell him into prison. He got Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. The slave owner sold him, in, sold him to an Egyptian. The Egyptians sent him into prison. He, he became the confidant of Pharaoh. He's the only one that can supply the food, which brings his 11 brothers up to Egypt. While they are now living in Egypt, they become the children of Israel, expanding in Egypt. So guess what? God used a negative in one man's life to keep a promise about the building of a whole nation. Joseph went through deep waters because God was doing a whopping thing. When your waters are deep and they're lasting long, get your praise on. Because he's something. He's doing something. The problem is only spiritual people can see this. The carnal are complaining. The carnal are cussing and fussing and rebelling. Uh, the carnal are spending all day wasting, uh, asking why rather than giving thanks and everything. God is up to something. If his delay is one negative on top of another and you're walking with him. See, Joseph was walking with God and because he was walking with God, it was not wasted time. If you're not walking with God, you don't know what is going on, and, and you mad all the time. In verse 21 of chapter 50, so therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones, my nieces and nephews. So he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. I need to read that again. Some of you, some of you listening right now already know where I'm going with this. So therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. When you have, when you have God's point of view, you can relate to people who hurt you differently. See, 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 if all you see are the people who hurt you, you did this to me and I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. All that's telling me is you don't see the hand of God. You thought that it was all about what they did. But because Joseph never lost sight of the hand of God, when they repented, yes, they repented. They said, yes, we were, yes, we were wrong. We're sorry, and we are scared. Because Joseph now has the power of life and death. He says, do not be afraid. I not only forgive you, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to help you. The recognition of God's sovereignty gave the freedom of forgiveness. Many of us are living life on a leash that we can't shake and Satan's holding the other end of the leash because we can't let go because all we see is what they did, what he or she did. Because we do not have the eyes of God. We do not see what God was doing in alarming it even though we were not at fault. 
Many of us are in shackles and are looking for ways we can get them. I'm going to get them. Let me turn to 1 Peter 3 9. 1 Peter 3 9 says, Apostle Peter says these words not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very, for this very purpose that you might or that you may inherit a blessing. But we're talking about a spiritual perspective. Have the mindset of giving the blessing. Watch this. So you inherit the blessing. Why? Because you are, you are looking at what God is doing. He released them from their debt. Why? Because he was looking at God's sovereignty. If Joseph would have held on to the grudge, he would have never passed the test. And if he never passed the test, he would have never inherited the blessing. He inherited the blessing because he passed the test. Many of us are being tested by the hand of, uh, by the hand of a sovereign God. But he cannot elevate us because we refuse to take it or pass it. And we're living in bitterness and anger because we saw the hand of man and missed the hand of God. It's time to push the delete button because you're looking at the hand of God. It's time to set somebody else free so you can be set free because you're looking at the hand of God. You're not stuck with the injustice because God is up to something and he decided to use the injustice to get you where he wanted you to be. He said, God used it to bring me to this place. If God is allowing something in your life to pow, break, rather than simply going off, on the one who hits you. Ask, Lord, what is your will? What is your plan? What place are you taking me? In closing, when astronauts are learning to fly, they are put in a flight simulator where pilots are confronted with every kind of conceivable flight emergency. It is, it is there in the simulator that they form their responses and skills until they can successfully face them. They are given difficulties so that they can have the proper reaction when the real thing comes. The, simu the simulator really isn't the real thing, it just, it just feels like it. They are preparing them in the test for when they get high, for when, they for when they're elevated, when they take off. God is allowing you in the simulator and shaking up your world to home in your faith so that when he comes in and allows you to take flight, you know what to do up there because you learned what to do down there. God bless you. This is Pastor Smith. Um, thank all of you for listening. and I pray this was life-changing. Take care. Bye-bye.